When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. On today's episode of The Door Report, presented by Alaco Finewood Floors, we take a quick look at Clark Lee's continuously growing staff down here on West End. We also do a quick recap of the Vandy Boys sweep of Illinois-Chicago, as well as look forward to their matchup against Memphis today at 4.30 p.m. here in Nashville. We also run through a regular season recap um, for Vanderbilt men's basketball, looking through each individual player and how they performed throughout the season. We also run through the SEC tournament betting odds um, and looking at who is the favorite, as well as some dark horses that could potentially make a run in this tournament. We are also joined by Blake Lovell, um, the assistant editor for Blue Ribbon Yearbook, as well as covering the SEC for the 14. We run through the SEC tournament, some expectations of actually having fans in the stadium, as well as some dark horses that he could see making a run and shocking the country, becoming an SEC tournament champion and getting that auto bid into the NCAA tournament. Let's ride. You're listening to The Door Report, the premier Vanderbilt podcast for fans who believe black and gold. Commodore Nation, anchor down. Welcome back into The Door Report, episode 74 on this fine Tuesday, March 9th, as always, presented by Alaco Finewood Floors. Unfortunately, Billy, Billy Derrick is unable to join me here today on the pod, but I'm still here to talk a little bit of Vanderbilt sports in the upcoming SEC tournament starting tomorrow night with Vanderbilt taking on the Texas A&M Aggies. Uh, we'll also get into Clark Lee's staff continuing to grow. Uh, the Vandy boys swept uh, Illinois-Chicago and have a matchup against the Memphis Tigers out west uh, here in Nashville today at 4.30. Um, we'll also run through a little bit of a regular season recap of Vanderbilt men's basketball, and we'll also have a quick SEC tournament preview before being joined by Blake Lovell on the podcast to break down that SEC tournament in a little bit more detail and kind of break down how he sees Vanderbilt's chances of breaking through that first round for the first time since 2017. Uh, but before we get into breaking news, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at door underscore report and Instagram door dot report. Like us on Facebook, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Our podcast is available on Anchor, iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. And while you're at it, go ahead and give our podcast a five-star review on iTunes. And next, breaking news presented by Alaco Finewood Floors. Today's breaking news is brought to you by the Recycling Dudes. You may ask, who are the Recycling Dudes? Well, they're brothers Graydon and Chapman and their dad. Drew Smith, who is a Metro Nashville firefighter living in Westmead. The Recycling Dudes recognize the need for a service that would take glass to the recycling for busy homeowners who care about our environment. They pick up your glass, separate it, and take it to be recycled. They offer monthly service as well as one-time party pickup 
starting as low as $10 per month. All you have to do is sign up on their website at RecyclingDudes.com. All right, jumping right into it, Clark Lee's staff continues to grow, and it seems like this is probably one of the biggest staffs in the country. Maybe we're just used to a much smaller staff, but it was already massive uh, before these latest additions uh, becoming official. Uh, It's nobody at a a major position coach or anything like that, but Vanderbilt did bring on two, uh, one one each, two analysts, one offensive, one defensive analyst, four graduate assistants, and five quality control coaches. So this staff continues to get bigger and bigger, and it's just more uh, of a positive sign from the administration that they are committed and committed to winning. It's an investment we really haven't seen. In fact, it seems like for for the most part, Vanderbilt's kind of been running with a bare-bones staff when you compare it to a lot of these other SEC programs. And now they have a mental performance coach. They've got a ton of quality control analysts, a full staff of graduate assistants, and countless position coaches. So they're probably running out of office space over there on West End, but I'm sure we'll be more than happy to see them putting up some new offices for these guys. And hopefully this investment will translate eventually to some wins on the field. But it's not football season. It is baseball and basketball season right now. And the SEC tournament is at the forefront of most Vanderbilt fans and SEC basketball fans' minds. But before we get into that, we'll go ahead and give a quick little recap of what the Vandy boys have been up to, the number two baseball team in the country, according to D1 Baseball, even though I think they should probably be ranked number one. They just finished up a sweep of Illinois Chicago, 15 to nothing, 5 to 2, and 4 to 2. And they have a matchup against Memphis today in Nashville at 4.30 p.m. It is available to stream on SEC Network Plus. Um, that is a difficult network to get. We were discussing it in our group, trying to figure out a way to watch the games. And SEC Network Plus seems to be one of those uh, networks that's only available if you're an Xfinity subscriber. So unfortunately for me, I'm unable to watch that game live, but might have to find a little bit less than legal way to watch that one, but we'll keep that on the down low. A 17-year-old freshman Christian Little will make his second career start today against the Memphis Tigers, Um, and looking forward to seeing those guys continue to be successful since they are sitting at 9-1 and right now. But uh, the thing that is probably what you're coming on here to listen to us discuss is the SEC tournament and Vanderbilt basketball. Before we get into the SEC tournament and that matchup against Texas A&M, I do want to kind of run through a little bit of a regular season recap um, for the Vanderbilt Commodores and Coach Stackhouse. Uh, So right now sitting at 8-15, 3-13 in the SEC, uh, same exact number of wins as last season. And and we touch on this a little bit in segment two with Blake, Blake, but it's hard to give a good grade. Um, to this season for the Vanderbilt Commodores. It's a very unique season. They've been kind of riddled with injuries, even if it's not season-ending injuries. They did have uh, Dylan DeSue is out for the season with an injury, and Tyron Lawrence was, of course, lost early in the year. But Cleavon Brown is also someone that has not been able to stay healthy and stay on the court, and his importance cannot be overemphasized. Um, He is the – if Scottie Pippen is the – engine to keep the car running. Cleavon Brown's the oil. He's the one that comes in. He's the gasoline. He runs that pick and roll extremely well with Pippen. Um, He's a good rim protector. He's pretty much the only rim protector, really, um, especially with Dylan DeSue out now. So him being healthy for this first round matchup against Texas A&M is going to be huge. And he hasn't really been able to be out on the court this entire season. 
Um, but before we kind of give the give the grade that I've got sitting here on uh, a Google Doc right in front of me, I do want to give a congratulations to Scotty Pippen Jr., who was named a first-team All-SEC player, and Dylan DeSue was named the SEC Scholar Athlete of the Year. So kind of a question that I think is on everybody's minds, is there any chance that Pippen comes back? Um, I really don't know. don't have any inside information. We haven't been able to figure anything out. He seems to be a little bit of a closed book. Um, his Twitter feed was pretty full of, of retweets and different things of that nature involving him being a first-team All-SEC player. But with the kind of tumultuous state of Vanderbilt basketball and his stock seeming to be kind of on the rise with the performance he's had this year, averaging over 20 points a game and just being an incredibly efficient uh, player on the offensive end, whether it's passing the ball or scoring the ball, I'd be extremely surprised if, if he doesn't leave for the NBA draft, considering he's probably at this point a lock to be in that kind of late first round, early second round draft. But getting with those advisors and making sure that he is going to be a first round pick if he comes out, which guarantees him a rookie contract, the second round is not, is going to be a major, major player in the decision that he has to make. And we've seen some success from guys that that left a little bit earlier than I think a lot of us expected in Saban Lee with the Pistons, who's really come on as of late um, in Detroit there. But just kind of go, running down the roster of how this season has kind of gone. Obviously, Lawrence, the freshman, he came in, I believe he was a four-star um, had the ACL injury early in the year. I mentioned Cleavon Brown has been had some abdominal injuries um, and has been unable to really be his 100% self. We've seen him a couple times throughout the season. Uh, kind of, uh, you've seen flashes of the player that he could be, but he's been really unable to stay healthy. The Dylan DeSue injury is just unfortunate. Vanderbilt was really starting starting to pick up momentum, start to start to play a lot better, and possibly make you know, a little bit of a Cinderella run in this SEC tournament because I don't think a lot of teams were looking forward to playing Vanderbilt just because of the streaky nature of how they play, taking a lot of threes. And, and that kind of three-quarter court kind of zone press that Stackhouse has implemented seems to be really, really effective, and it's creating turnovers and uh, leading to Vanderbilt kind of quick on the offensive end outside of that Ole Miss game that they only put up 46 total points in. Dylan DeSue throughout this year, you watched him get better every single game. And, and what you look with Dylan DeSue is it's really just consistency. He, has, he was having flashes as a freshman, flashes early in the season of the player he could be. And he probably has a lot of NBA scouts drooling if he can continue to develop his game. As a, as he's kind of the perfect prototype for that modern stretch four. He runs the pick and, pick and roll well. If he can continue to put weight on. He can actually be a really good rebounder, defender, shot blocker. Um, but that that stroke that he has from the outside, from three-point range, even though he hasn't shot an incredibly high percentage throughout his career, it's a pretty shot. And he did shoot almost 37% this year from three, and obviously the NBA three is a different animal. But uh, once he makes it uh, in the NBA and or uh, comes back these next couple years and is able to improve that jump shot, I think he's definitely going to have a future in the NBA. Um, on some even more positive notes here, before I get into negative notes, is Max Evans' late surge um, this year has been something fun to watch. He's becoming the player that we all expected to see, an offensive force that's very consistent um, from behind that three-point line after he kind of had a horrendous start um, to the season from behind the arc. He's worked his way up to 36.8% um, this season. 
And it's been it's been enjoyable to watch him be successful because he's a guy that stayed here for the full time and seen a lot of a lot of ups and downs of this program. Some young guys that have really showed a lot of promise. Uh, Miles Studi, I think once he develops and he obviously he looks like a freshman out there, even though he's showing flashes of athleticism, his shooting stroke looks really good. He's got a solid build for a freshman, but he looks like a freshman and makes some freshman mistakes and decisions. A guy that is someone to really keep an eye on in the next two to three years is Trey Thomas. And I'd said on the podcast before that I really liked the potential he showed, but I didn't think he should be playing largely consistent minutes right now just because of his size. And it seems like teams target him when they see him walk on the court. Just I think he's listed at 160 or so, and there's no way in hell he's 160 pounds. He's, he's probably around 150, 152. Um, he's about 5'10-ish. Um, he might be listed around 5'11", but I think that might be shoe height. So he needs to put on a little bit of weight. If he can do that, he has an incredibly consistent stroke from the outside, especially you'll see guys come in to college basketball and struggle just because it doesn't seem like a big difference moving that three-point line back just a little bit. But it does make a pretty big difference when that's a really deep three in high school and then you come into college basketball and that's just a normal shot. So watching him develop that early, uh, it, and, he, and he shows some flashes handling the ball, finding some guys. Um, he had an incredible pass. Uh, I will have to pull out, pull out the highlight, and it was a no-look pass dumping it off to believe I was, it was Clinton Merlo-Brown in the game against Cincinnati. But he's a guy that I really have high hopes for in the future. But right now it seems like that three-quarter court kind of zone press um, that Stackhouse seems to be implementing is a necessity when he's on the court because he's just getting bullied. And, and there's no other word to say for it um, when he's on the court, just due to his size. And he tr does make a lot of plays trying to get in there and scrap and dive for loose balls, pull rebounds. But right now it's just a size issue. And in the next few years, we should see that develop a little bit better. Jordan Wright seems to be improving in his confidence level. He's becoming more of a force on the offensive end, taking the ball to the hole and making better decisions. He, he had a tendency previously to get himself in bad positions, take that one extra dribble that didn't need to be made, make that one extra move that didn't need to be made. And that seems to be improving game by game with him. Uh, Isaac McBride has actually kind of developed more into the rotation. I was hoping to see more out of him this year, but his minutes have increased and picked up with uh, lately with Scottie Pippen dealing with a little bit of injury issues, but he seems to be back and healthy. But Isaac McBride looks to have a bright future, the Kansas transfer. And the GK Obina just never really developed um, his entire, he was a project coming in. And I think the initial hopes were he would develop similar to someone like Festus Azili that was a big body, but didn't quite have the skill, um, but did have the body type and you could develop the skill. And that never really happened for him. He still looked a little out of place on the court, kind of one step in the wrong spot. Um, but he but he continued to play hard this year and, and gave some valuable minutes off the bench when Cleavon Brown has been struggling with that abdominal injury. Quentin Marilla Brown, is, he's been okay. Um, I wouldn't say he's been good or bad either. He, he's kind of filling in and played really, really key minutes um, due to Cleavon Brown. Once again, his injury has been really devastating and his injury struggles to this team and their lack of wins in the win column. And I don't want to keep saying it, but DJ Harvey, if they have a hope of making any sort of run, I'm not saying win it, but win one, two games in this SEC tournament is going to have to play his best games of the year. 
Um, he's continuing to not really step up on the offensive end of the court. Um, he's playing about 20 minutes a game, averaging 5.6 points per game, um, shooting 36% from the field. That's just not going to get it done from a guy that you're expecting high offensive output from. Um, when you're receiving, uh, you know, other guys can put up those similar statistics. When you when you have Pippen shooting 39% from three, 45% from the field, Jordan Wright um, has kind of taken over a lot of those minutes that were initially given to DJ Harvey just due to he's played better. He's shooting 44% from three, almost 50% from the field. So I'm looking for him to really step up in this postseason play and possibly um, kind of improve on what has been a disappointing season thus far. But it's time to kind of jump into the uh, matchup that the Commodores have tomorrow night, Wednesday night at 6 p.m. in round one of the SEC tournament, an SEC tournament with only 13 teams playing due to postseason self-imposed, I believe, bans from Auburn. Uh, the, there's only one first-round matchup, and it is the tw number 12-seeded Vanderbilt Commodores against Texas A&M, the number 13 seed. The Aggies have had a very limited schedule this year. Uh, they're 8-9, 2-8 in conference. Vanderbilt actually hasn't played them this year, which is very bizarre to see a matchup in a conference tournament where one of the teams hasn't played the other team. Uh, but the last matchup was on January, January 11th, 2020. It was a 69-50 uh, victory by the Texas A&M Aggies over the Vanderbilt Commodores. Um, and hopefully that will be a little bit different of an outcome this time around. And their last matchup uh, was, and their last matchup in the postseason was actually in the last SEC tournament that we had in 2019 due to last season's being unfortunately canceled due to COVID-19. It was the number 11 versus the number 14 matchup. And in a very similar score, uh, the Texas A&M Aggies knocked off Vanderbilt 69-52, to not nice. So going into this matchup a little bit, A&M had a stretch there where they almost didn't play for a month. Um, and they have gotten back playing, obviously, now. But you don't really know a lot about this, this team, and you don't really know a lot about a lot of teams um, in general. Ed, this year due to different COVID cancellations. You haven't seen a lot about of conference games being played. And Texas A&M had a stretch after they played Kansas State. Um, I believe it was January 30th um, they played Kansas State. And then they didn't play another game until they had lost to Mississippi State 63-57. And I think that game was actually on March the 3rd. So they had a stretch for the entire month of February where they didn't put a ball on the hardwood and dribble it against another opponent. So that's a very bizarre situation. And since they've come back, they've played two games, a loss to Mississippi State, 63 to 57, and a loss to the smoking red hot Arkansas Razorbacks, 87 to 80. And now they take on the Vanderbilt Commodores without Dylan DeSue. So I don't know what the expectations are, but a win is really, really, really needed. Vanderbilt hasn't passed the first round in the SEC tournament since 2017 when they were the number seven seed. And oh, how Vanderbilt has fallen. Before when Kevin Stallings, I believe it was the 2015-2016 year, he went 19 and 14, was knocked out in the first four of the NCAA tournament. And that was unacceptable to Vanderbilt fans. Bring in Bryce Drew and then the disaster begins. First season makes it to the NCAA tournament, 
next year begins going downhill. And then it's been a, been a I, I don't want to say a slow decline. It's been a very rapid decline. And now Vanderbilt is playing in what would be uh, their third, fourth straight first round game in the SEC tournament if last year's would have been played. So we'll be looking forward to watching that next year. But I do want to run through, uh, before we talk with Blake Lovell, um, uh, the assistant editor for Blue Ribbon Yearbook and also covers the SEC for the 14. And we break down the SEC tournament a little bit more. I do want to run through these betting odds here um, for the odds of teams being the SEC tournament winner. Um, Looking at the three clear favorites here, you've got Alabama, Arkansas, Tennessee, at plus 230, plus 290, and plus 450, respectively. LSU, Kentucky, and Florida, all at plus 700. Missouri at plus 900. Uh, Ole Miss at plus 2200. And then we get into the extremely, extremely high odds here. Mississippi State, plus 6,000. Georgia, plus 10,000. South Carolina, plus 17,500. Vanderbilt and Texas A&M, both plus 25,000. So if you're not familiar with gambling and how all of that works, um, so at plus 100 odds, that means even money. So if you bet $1, you win $1 plus your initial stake back. So obviously at plus 1,000, you bet $1, you win $10 plus your initial stake back, plus 10,000, um, which is the odds on Georgia, it's bet $1 win $100 um, on, well, actually that might not even be correct. I'm doing some bad, bad, quick math here. Um, but the Vanderbilt Commodores are an extremely, extremely heavy underdog. And of course I had to put a couple dollars on Vanderbilt. I believe I have a bet in there of $2 to win $1,000. If Vanderbilt somehow manages to make a run and, and become the Cinderella of the college basketball tournament uh, championships. So uh, bef- without further ado, we'll go into segment two here with Blake Lovell. Um, as always here at the Door Report, thank you for listening. Um, segment two coming right up. Blake Lovell, of the assistant editor of Blue Ribbon Yearbook. Anchor down. No matter what style you're going for, you can trust your flooring job to a Laco Fine Wood Floors. Take a walk through the woods in your home every day. Get your flooring job started today by calling 615-356-0303. Alaco Fine Wood Floors. Craftsmanship you can stand on. Welcome back into the Door Report in segment two here. We're lucky to be joined by Blake Lavelle. Lovell? How, how do you pronounce it there? I apologize. <laughs> Let's go Lovell. That sounds, okay. uh, trust me, it gets pronounced uh, every every way in the book. So you're you're not the first. Yeah, I was about to say, I bet I'm not the first. And, and I completely understand that with B-Y-R-U-M, Byram, Byram, <laughs> Bynum, everything you can imagine. But Blake covers college basketball. Um, he also covers it covers the SEC for the 14, and he's a, the assistant editor for the Blue Ribbon Yearbook. You can follow him on Twitter at the Blake Lovell, L-O-V-E-L-L. Um, and we're going to be breaking down a little bit of the SEC tournament um, in general, some some teams to keep an eye on, as well as Vanderbilt's chances to make it past the first round of the SEC tournament for the first time since 2017. So. Blake, thanks for coming on with us. Uh, how's it going? Yeah, doing well, Will. Um, SEC tournament about to start, so uh, things getting busy for all of us, uh, but uh, should be a fun week here in Nashville. Yeah, I'm excited to have that SEC tournament back. Of course, last year we weren't able 
to have uh, the SEC tournament or March Madness, which of course is the best part of college basketball season due to COVID-19, but it's back. Uh, we weren't sure if it was going to happen, <laughs> but it's back and there will be um, fans in the stands in Nashville, a limited capacity number of fans. Um, tickets are not on sale to the public, but they were assigned to individual schools to sell their fan base. I don't know if you have a little bit more detail on that than me, Blake. What is the fan situation looking like in Bridgestone Are Arena here in Nashville, Tennessee? Yeah, it sounds like they're going to do the 3,400, which I guess is 20%, something like that, of the normal um, allotment, I guess. Um, so it should be interesting. I I'm I'm curious. You know, I, I think it's always – uh, something where, you know, we just we've come to expect Kentucky fans to hold about however many 10,000 or more uh, of these tickets every year. And it's just pretty much blue all over the place. But I think maybe it's a little different this year, but I guess you never know in terms of uh, maybe they still find a way to get some of those tickets. Uh, but uh, I think it's it's going to be just a much different atmosphere. And uh, I think that's going to provide probably, you know, some some even more unpredictable results i think for this tournament just because you know whereas before we, we've had situations where it's felt like a home court advantage for kentucky or maybe tennessee at times or teams like that but you know, i think this year it could be a little bit more interesting yeah i'm a little bit sad about the first round matchups vanderbilt's had a little bit lack of success um to put it kindly in the last few years and those first round matchups uh, typically are general admission. You're able to get a pretty good seat for a pretty low price. Um, this year, it's yeah. a lot more assigned and a lot more structured. So a little bit disappointed here in that. But moving to the actual games being played on the court, not the fans in the stands, which we're all excited to have at least a few in there. Um, kind of looking at this, at the SEC regular season in general, it's kind of been up and down. There's no real dominant team. Uh, with Tennessee being very inconsistent on the offensive end of the court specifically and Kentucky being tremendously down from their usual level of play, who would you say, not looking at betting odds or anything like that, who would you say, if you had to put money on it, would be your uh, favorite here in this tournament? Yeah, I mean, I, I still think Bama as the one is is the team that's just hard to look away from. I mean, they did win 16 of the 18 games in the league. I know they didn't play – as as dominant down the stretch i mean they had to win some close games uh but i guess you know they won them so um they, they haven't played as well away from home that's the one thing i look at with bama and i'm a little bit concerned about uh, not exactly knowing maybe how they'll shoot the ball uh in a neutral sort of setting because they have been much better at home like a lot of teams but um that they, they i would like to see them play a little bit better maybe in these these games they're going to have in nashville uh, but staring down that potential quarterfinal game against Kentucky is probably not something that you want either, even with Kentucky um, where they are record-wise. They're still playing better than they did a month ago. Uh, and then, you know, Arkansas, I think it's clearly those top two. Um, Arkansas and Bama have just been head and shoulders above everyone else, I think, just in terms of how they've played. I mean, Arkansas has won 11 in a row now in the SEC, and um, I just think that those two teams, it's it's going to take a lot, I think, for those two teams to – not make it, you know, to the championship game. But uh, then again, the SEC has been so wild this year. You know, I can't say I couldn't see a team like LSU or uh, Kentucky or Missouri or somebody like that you know, making a run either to Sunday. Well, you jumped ahead to what my next question was going to be here. We've got the uh, betting odds according to FanDuel here for the SEC tournament champions. And right now, Alabama, Arkansas, and Tennessee are the odds on favorites at plus 230 
plus 290 and plus 450 respectively. Of the other, well, it's actually not 11, 10 SEC teams participating <laughs> in the tournament this year. Who would you say is your dark horse or a, a, a one or two dark horses for you that you can see making a run? Yeah, I mean, I will start with Kentucky just because, I mean, I think, I think they're the eighth seed, and um, you know, if they were to beat Alabama, which they've got to beat Mississippi State first, I don't think that's going to be easy. Um, if they were to beat, uh, you know, an Alabama in that next round, I think they have their the matchups. They would match up pretty well with Florida or Tennessee. Um, so, so I, I think in that scenario, I think Kentucky's certainly a team you look at. And again, I mean, they've they've been the most dominant team in this tournament over the years. Um, I know this year is so different, but. Still, I, I would not put it past them uh, if they are able to play at their best against Alabama. Like we said, maybe Bama doesn't shoot it as well or something on that game on Friday. Other than that, I mean, you know, LSU, I guess, isn't really a dark horse, but I do think LSU, their part of the bracket sets up very nicely for them in terms of I think they, they just match up really well with either Ole Miss or South Carolina. And then, I mean, LSU's got four NBA talents on the floor at the same time for the majority of the game. So I think they're one that could knock off Arkansas, maybe stop a streak like that. Um, so I think LSU, even as the three seed, I don't know if a lot of people are talking about them uh, because it was a pretty close race for that three with, with them and Tennessee and Florida. But um, I think LSU and Kentucky are two teams that, that I would certainly keep an eye on. Missouri, I may have been a little bit higher on. Um, I just don't know that I love the draw in terms of uh, them maybe having to meet Arkansas there in that quarterfinal. I just think Arkansas, it just feels like a game that Arkansas is a better matchup in that one. Um, so I'd probably look at LSU and Kentucky. Yeah, it feels like the SEC this year is a lot like the rest of college basketball, and there are some very, very talented teams. But it, it feels like there's a lot of really good teams and not that usual handful of really dominant great teams that we're, that we're used to seeing where you say these teams are clearly the favorites heading in. Um, and they're obviously our favorites, but it kind of feels like anything can happen, which hopefully will lead um, to more March Madness and make up for last year having a lack of that March Madness. So um, moving on to the guys in black and gold, since we are a Vanderbilt podcast here at the Door Report, um, they match up against 13th seeded Texas A&M tomorrow night at 7 p.m. Eastern on the SEC Network. How would you look at that matchup, and what do you think Vanderbilt's chances are of making it past the first round for the first time since 2017? Yeah, this is such a weird, weird dynamic, isn't it? I don't remember, or I mean, could we even figure out the last time that two SEC teams met in the SEC tournament and didn't play during the regular season um, because of you know A and M season, the the season they've had, these two didn't play, and so it's so weird to think of um, just in terms of kind of. Uh, what the what the matchup is here because we don't have anything in the regular season to go off of. Uh, but I mean, A and M since they have come back and I mean, look, they were on pause for over a month. Um, but in the the couple games they've come back, they played really well at Arkansas. They really, I mean, if Moses Moody doesn't hit a three with under a minute to go, A and M probably wins that game um, and stops that streak for Arkansas. So I, I think you know you look at it that way. Emmanuel Miller, uh, he's a stud for A and M. Savion Flag, he's been there for years. He's obviously someone else you have to keep an eye on. Um, so it's going to be an interesting matchup because I, I really think that even though this is basically, you know, A&M's third game back since January, um, it's it's still one where I feel like they're actually playing pretty well. And then for Vanderbilt, you know, that offensive stretch they had at uh, Ole Miss uh, last Saturday was not good. And, um, you know, not having Dylan the Sioux and 
I just think there's a lot of elements with Vanderbilt. It just makes them kind of unpredictable any night just because you don't really know exactly what you're going to get. I mean, having Scottie Pippen out there has helped getting him back from injury. But um, I, I think this is, uh, you know, we always say that with these Wednesday night games in the SEC tournament, but this could go a lot of different ways. And I look at this as sort of a toss-up just because when Vanderbilt's shooting the ball well, um, they can obviously, you know, hang with anyone. We've seen that. And, and as many threes they made, I think, they made eight or eight or more three pointers, I think, in so many of their games this season. Um, but you know, A and M defends it pretty well too in the limited sample size we have with them. So I'm very curious to see how it plays out. And, and really, I don't know that you could look at either team and feel strongly about uh, them being the favorite, just because it's it's kind of been a different kind of season for both. Yeah, that's what I was I was about to say the same thing, and that it, it's kind of hard to get a judgment on any of these teams just because of the weird way that this season has kind of played out uh, specifically in you know a lack of a non-conference schedule I mean some teams were able to play more non-conference than others Vanderbilt was able to get a few games in I believe they played seven or six out of conference games before getting into SEC play and then had that Cincinnati game which was very bizarre to be playing an out of conference game in March but how would you say the SEC is going to do when it comes to tournament selection time? And how many teams can you see getting in from this conference? Yeah, I think six are locks to get in. Um, Alabama, Arkansas, LSU, Tennessee, Florida, Missouri, they're all in. Then I think it's a matter of seeing what Ole Miss does. If Ole Miss can beat South Carolina and then turn around and beat LSU, I think Ole Miss is in at that point. I think even if they don't beat LSU um, and some of the other bubble teams fall back, I could see Ole Miss still getting in. Uh, but I think winning two for Ole Miss is the formula to, to really feel like they're potentially a lock at that point. Um, now they may resume with support them getting in with a win against South Carolina and LSU. Uh, so that's kind of where it stands. I mean, I, I feel like Alabama and Arkansas, they're both probably going to settle uh, potentially both could settle on the two line. Um, I don't think Alabama is going to move up to a one at this point. I think Illinois has got that locked up uh, with the other three, Gonzaga, Baylor, Michigan. Um, but Arkansas could move up from a three to a two. I think if Arkansas makes a run to the championship, I think they'll they'll get that extra two spot, maybe move ahead of a team like Houston or someone like that. Um, but really everyone else is just kind of, you know, if, what I would say is if you're LSU or Florida or Missouri or someone like that, I don't think Tennessee is going to drop all the way down to eight or nine. But um, those three teams, maybe potentially, I would want to get away from that eight, nine game because you don't want to play Gonzaga. You don't want to play Baylor. You don't want to play Michigan. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you probably don't want to play Illinois. So I would try to get as far away from that. This is a I mean, number one seeds are always strong because that's why they're number one seeds. But this is a really, really strong number one seed line. So um, that's the thing. I think if you're those teams, you want to try to win a couple games because that'll move you out of that eight, nine spot. Uh, but otherwise, you would almost prefer to either move up to a seven or maybe even hope that they're going to drop you down to a 10 because I don't think you want any part of the eight, nine this year. So this isn't an SEC question or, or a Vanderbilt question. This is just a college basketball question. I think it's going to be something really interesting to watch how the committee handles the – and kind of a turning point almost in how they handle a couple teams specifically on that bubble in the Drake Bulldogs and Belmont Bruins. Mm -hmm. Drake sitting at 25-4, and four, Belmont at 26-1. and one. Outside of Loyola Chicago, Drake was a very dominant team. I believe they were ranked as high as what in the, near the top ten or at yep. least in the top twenty-five um, throughout a lot of the season. And Belmont um, was obviously teetering on that edge and and was clearly the best team in the OVC all year and caught a hot Moorhead State team um, in that championship game. 
With the lack of out-of-conference games, these mid-majors were presented even less of an opportunity to really play in out-of-conference games. And Drake and Belmont have unique challenges in that what benefit is it for these SEC mid-tier programs, such as an Ole Miss, to schedule one of these out-of-conference games when really it's, it can only hurt them to, to play that way, same way in football, scheduling tough out-of-conference mid-majors. How would you, how do you think the committee is going to handle that versus a team like Ole Miss that's on that bubble, for example? Yeah, I think that's where you're, because the circumstances of the season, um, you know, we don't have anything to compare this to. And I think that's the problem is we don't know what the committee is going to do in some of these instances because we're only going on the traditional history of everything that we know that they've done before. But we've never had a season where teams have been on pause for a month or anything like that, you know, and had these kind of situations where, you know, you have injuries and everything that play into it and and, and all those things. Um, I think Drake's going to have a good shot to get in. Um, you know, again, you could probably look at it and compare them to teams like Ole Miss and say, well, you know, the quality win opportunities and all that. But like you said, scheduling two this year was an absolute nightmare. I think for any team, trying to put together a non-conference schedule was brutal um, just to try to figure out the logistics of everything and all that and, and trying to schedule around the changes in conference schedules and all that stuff. It was just – it was so hard to do. So if there's a year I'm willing to look beyond that and say, well – you know, mid-majors need more opportunities. I feel like this year it was going to be hard no matter what, just with the circumstances. Um, so that's probably something that I would think the committee looks at. Belmont, unfortunately, I don't think has a chance to get in. Um, are they one of the best 68 teams in the country? Maybe. Like, I, I mean, look, now we're I'm probably biased just watching more of their games than most people do. But, I mean, that team is still, you know, very, very good. But I think just the, like you said, it probably – not getting enough opportunities to, to beef up their resume outside of the OVC, that just puts them in a spot where they can have all the wins that they have. Um, but I just think that you're probably still going to see the committee, you know, value some of these teams in power conferences over one like that, who was the regular season champion, um, won a lot of games, and then just happened to run into a Moorhead State team that um, is just, you know, a buzzsaw right now. You, nobody wants to play them. Um, and so I, I don't know. I, it's This year is just such a different deal because I, you know, the committee has been, they're in a bind. Like we give them problems and stuff over the years, but this year I would not want to be on that committee because this is, these are some tough decisions to make because the circumstances are unlike anything we've seen before. Yeah, Belmont's in a tough spot because uh, Drake was able to play against Loyal Chicago, who is obviously, you know, high in all those net, whether you're looking at net rankings, RPI, Ken Palm, whatever it is within their conference. And Belmont's hurt this year by the fact that Murray State is down. Um, and typically that's yeah. a team you can look to as a quality win that you play at least twice during the season. Um, before we let you go here, I do want to kind of do a little bit of a look back at the SEC season specifically how uh, at Vanderbilt's performance, we've talked a lot about college basketball in general and SEC in general. How would you grade Coach Stackhouse and the performance of this team this season? Ooh, that's a tough one too, because I mean, I think, you know, they're going to finish what three, they finished three and 13 in the regular season in the SEC. Um, you know, that that's still near the bottom. Unfortunately. Right. Yeah. And it's just, I mean, it's tough because, again, for people like us who probably watch them play, like, did this team get better from start to finish? I, I think that's an absolute yes, that they did. Um, but still, you know, at the end of the day, we're all going to talk about wins and losses. And, 
um, you know, it's still a team that maybe at best finishes with nine wins this season overall. And and again, you know, four in the SEC, maybe if you count them potentially beating Texas A&M, um, you know, I, that's the thing is it's it's hard because they, they do have two of the best players in the league and, and Scotty Pippen and Dylan Dessou. But outside of that, you know, they've got some guys that, that can be very streaky. And, you know, I think that's one of the problems that if you just compare Vanderbilt's one through seven or one through eight, with other one through eights in the SEC, it's just they're not there yet. And I'm one who never thought that they were going to be there after year two. Like I said, when Jerry Sagos took the job, when you bottom out as a program, which is exactly what Vanderbilt did, um, you know, winning, losing, whatever, 20 something in a row in the SEC, um, you don't get that back in a year or two. Um, it's mm. the, not, not in this SEC. Maybe you could have 10 years ago or 20 years ago, but not, not now. Like the SEC is too strong. And so, I always thought next year was probably going to be the one where we really start to form a pretty good opinion on where things could potentially head. Um, but I can't say I'm shocked that they finished where they finished this year, even with Scottie Pippen and DeSue and, and those guys. Uh, um, I think they got better. I think the player development aspect, they're very good at as a coaching staff. Uh, but I think to be able to raise the level of this program back to uh, where it was many years ago or you know even during the the good part of the the kevin stallings era um that they've just got to get more players like they've got to recruit better and um i think that's the only way because it's just it's too challenging it's too competitive now in the sec so it's hard to to maybe pick a grade because i I feel like it's still an incomplete because i just don't know that you know even through a couple seasons you've seen the ups and downs uh but i just think they they've still got a lot of work to do in terms of uh, even getting vanderbilt back up to maybe that to that maybe even top half of the SEC. Yeah, it's pretty amazing how quickly it can bottom out, especially in basketball with the one and dones and guys leaving a lot more quickly because in 2016 and 2017, they made you know two straight NCAA tournaments, even though they were knocked out in the first round of both. And then all yeah. of a sudden they were un- a 19 and 14 season seemed almost unacceptable in 2015, 16 under Kevin Stallings. And now you're sitting here and looking at the records the past years and, and likely would have been four straight um, 20 lost seasons if this was a full schedule. So, uh, Blake, thank you for taking the time to, to speak with us here on The Door Report. You can follow him here at the Blake Lovell, um, L-O-V-E-L-L. Show him some love there. Uh, Blake, uh, we really do appreciate it once again. Um, and uh, looking forward to watching some college basketball and some March Madness with some fans in the stands. That's it. Uh, thanks for having me on, Will. Always appreciate it, man.